Hi folks, this is Jack Smirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is a Tuesday, December the 5th, 2017. This is episode 2125. And today's show is called Getting Started with Herbalism. I've had some herbal questions lately, given some advice on that, and said, you know, maybe I should do a whole show on just on getting started with herbalism. And I thought, well, maybe you'd do something, you know, in the in the spring or in the winter, going into next year sometime. And what happened was I got an awful lot of emails that said, hey, please do this. I thought, well, if there's that much demand for it, it's actually not a complicated topic. Let's go ahead and do it on the Just Jack show this week. So we'll do that today. Again, Tuesdays are Just Jack shows. Uh, these are no interviews, no questions, no stuff like that. We just uh, take a subject and deep dive into it. And that's what we're going to be going into today is herbal medicine and using herbs in your own home. And kind of going from zero to honest to God, I, the way I would put it, the, the, if you follow the format that I'm going to give you today, I would tell you that in about one year's time, you will be better suited um, as an herbalist than the majority of people who have taken multiple courses. And it'll be easy, and it'll be largely free. And I'll explain why that's the case as I go through what I'm gonna what I'm gonna teach you about today. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Um, there is nothing more important to your survival than water. I, I'm not going to say there's nothing as important, but there's nothing more important. There are certain things without it or without a good version of it, you're dead. If your water sucks and you don't have some way to purify it, you die. You either dehydration or some kind of toxic ick will get you. Um, you know, Water is that critical and that important human life and all life. And the problem that we have in our world today is not that, in general, I think the water that comes out of your sink is toxic. I think there's some things in there I'd prefer not to be there. I am I'm not a fan of putting fluoride in, in the in the public water supply because it's a toxin. And it's, it's success in actually protecting the teeth is, well, subject to a lot of criticism that's valid. I'll, I'll put it that way. But in general, like, you don't get sick because you drink the water out of your sink. Usually. The problem is that things can and do go wrong, and usually by the time they figure out that something's gone wrong, and they tell you about it, and they say, you know, don't drink the water, or they issue a boil water advisory, or what have you, the question you have to ask yourself is, how long have you been drinking that, and how did they find out? And I've watched enough, you know... Uh, documentary type shows on TV, and I'm not talking about the crazy ones. I'm talking about the stuff like on, you know, on Discovery and stuff like that about you know diseases popping up and not knowing whether to know that usually what happens is uh, people start to get sick and show up at the hospital and nobody's quite clear what it is, and sooner or later that tracks back to the water supply and the next thing you know you're issuing this warning. Well, what if that took a week? How long have you been drinking that? Even if you don't end up in the hospital, is it? A good thing that you drank that stuff, or what about radioactive particles in our water? Yeah, there's all kind of heavy metals and things like that have gotten into our water. And the best way I know to protect about that from that is a good filtration system. And Berkey's as good as anything out there. It looks great, damn you know, lasts damn near ever. 
And with Jeff Gleason, you get incredible customer service to boot. You can learn more at Directive 21, and he does have special discounts for members of the Support Brigade. So if you're going to buy a Berkey, go see Jeff. But before you do, go to your MSB account. Next up today, Safe Castle Royal. I call these guys the original survival podcast sponsor because they were first. They've been with us for like eight years. Eight years in the world of podcasting. And they really have everything you could want for your prepping needs. Really great assortment of stuff. Uh, and, and they're a huge supporter of the show, too. They have a program. Uh, it's a discount program. And, and the way it works now, it, it started out, it was $29. Bucks, and then it went up to $49. Bucks. And you bought it one time, and it lasts for your whole life. And over the years, they've decided they don't want to run it that way anymore. And what they do now, it's back to $29, but it's a yearly thing. It's a yearly membership, kind of like the discount program they have over at Sportsman's Guide, if you're familiar with it. So people do the math. It doesn't work this year, and they'll buy it or not buy it and what have you. And it gives you really great discounts and all the stuff Safecastle uh, has. The key is it used to be a lifetime membership. Do you know there's only one way? One way. You can currently get a lifetime membership to Safe Castle's discount program, the survivalpodcast.com member support brigade. They have enjoyed and, and appreciated working with this company, Survival Podcast, and this community for so long that when they made that change, they reached out to me and said, we're going to continue to do this for your members only for free. So you got a product now that's 30 bucks a year that you get for free for life as an MSB member. How awesome is that? Great company, great stuff. Check them out today, safecastle.com. Next up today, let's take a look at the year in history. The year that we're up to this year is 77. We talked about a new governor for Britain in this year a while, like the last episode. Uh, today we have another segment. This one's Southpaw Ben. He's back and contributing again. King Guru of Bejeki takes the throne. Guru, eldest son of King Daru, of the Bajeki Kingdom in Korea, had been heir to the throne since the year 33. This year, during the 50th year of his reign, King Daru died, making Giru the third king of Bajeki. Little is known about his reign, especially to Western historians. The main chronicle of the era is the Samjuk Sagi, a history of three kingdoms, doesn't contain information about the early reign. The first event recorded during the reign of Giru wasn't until 85 A.D. and recorded that in the first month of spring, soldiers were sent to attack the borders of Silic Kingdom, as well as the first sighting of a new star. Most of the events documented during the reign of Giru were a variety of natural disasters, and which many viewed as bad omens for the kingdom. The other notable achievement was the signaling of the lasting, the signing of the lasting peace treaty with the Salia Kingdom in the year 105. My take by Southpaw Ben. It's amazing how much is known about the Roman Empire during this time period, yet very little is known about the events of the Korean Peninsula. The Samjak Sagi, oldest source for a chronicle of the Korean Peninsula, and yet it wasn't written until 1145 A.D., along with some events recorded, could call question to its reliability. For example, the report that in 97 A.D. the two dragons were seen at the Han River. It's also biased toward the Cilia Kingdom, as the writer came from that region. It, it is amazing like how little we really know about other civilizations and what was going on at the time. And I don't think it's be, just because maybe the Romans did a better job of documenting it, I think it's because, in general, it was preserved better. I think most civilizations kept records of what was going on. But 
much of it was lost to history through war. And indeed, when one nation would invade another, one of the first things that they would do is erase their history. Erase their history. And, and this is why I have a love for history. And it's, it's something that I've always found a lot of people don't like history. They, they feel like they're forced to learn history in school or what have you. I, I, I think maybe if people understood that one of the first things you do to a conquered people is take their history from them, Maybe they'd have put a little bit more value in their own history and the history of other cultures in the world. Just my thoughts on that and one of the reasons we do this segment. Next up, before we get into today's topic, let me remind you once again that you can help support this show in a very, very easy way. It's called joining the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade. You heard during the, co- the uh, sponsor segment today, two companies that give you discounts if you're an MSB member. And it's about 75 companies that are in the MSB now that do discounts. Occasionally we have one fall out and disappear. I try to find new ones and bring them back in. But if you want something in the prepping industry or the gardening industry or the permaculture world or something like that, odds are if you go back there and take a look that the people that sell that stuff are in there. And uh, if you use the discounts, the membership pays for itself. So you get to support the show. And by the end of a year, you should be making a profit on your membership if you're using the discounts. You get a whole bunch of other great free stuff. And even if you were just doing it as basically choosing to pay for our content, it comes out to $0.18 cents an episode. So if you think the show's worth $0.18 cents an episode, consider becoming a member today. There's lots of ways to do it. Uh, you can do it silver and gold. You can pay with cryptocurrency. You can offer me barter. You can pay online uh, with a credit card. You name it, we probably have a way for you to do it. Uh, but check it out today. And we even have, like, if you think, well, I, I can't afford 50 bucks, you can do it as cheap as five bucks a month if you want to and give it a try. All right, with that, let's get into uh, the main topic of today's show. Let's start out with talking about this with a little bit of context. What I wanted to kind of point out today is something that I, I, I feel really should be self-evident, but it really kind of isn't. I, I think anymore. Humans have been using herbs effectively and safely for thousands of years. You know, we have a history segment, and you can't read the detailed writings of any ancient historian without seeing the use of herbs come into it for ailments and things like that. And there, there always have been doctors or shamans or special people or really smart guys or whatever you want to call them that people would go to with problems they couldn't solve for themselves that might have greater knowledge. And sometimes that greater knowledge actually was really greater knowledge and sometimes it was hokum. Uh, and sometimes it was well-intentioned. Sometimes it was knowingly a scam. And sometimes it was quite psychosomatic that you, something might help. And sometimes I believe even the shamanic uh, peoples would, would know that it would be psychosomatic, that the, 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 the guru that would give out the, 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 the potion or whatever would know that if, as long as the person believes it, it may help them. And in some t- instances, I believe they, there was things in there that did help them. But there's always been that kind of that doctor-level person. And the problem with that for us today, since we've separated ourselves from herbalism, is we're applying our modern fear to the whole world of herbalism and many other things. And what we've become conditioned to believe is that you need special credentials or special authority to do anything that's not specifically considered general knowledge. And it's just stupid. It's stupid on its face 
That would be the way that we should look. But we've been conditioned. We are the sheep. Bah, bah, bah. For instance, do you really think, and I'm not going to beat up on public education, but I just want to, I want you to honestly answer this question for yourself right now. Do you think there is any real need or requirement to say that a kindergarten teacher requires a four year university degree? Does that make any sense? Isn't it? Probably the case that even with some like specialized knowledge of like how to manage a classroom and stuff like that, that probably in three to four months, anybody that graduated high school with decent grades is probably qualified to teach kindergarten or the system itself doesn't work. And I can kick the system, but it works good enough for that. I'm sorry. You can teach first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. All of these do not require a college degree. And the credential of the state saying, you are a teacher. But yet we've been led to believe this. And that's why it's taken so long for homeschooling to really start to come into its own. And what made that happen was the results. But the, the point being that people were lulled into the belief that you had to have this credential and this specific education to be able to teach kindergartners to color in the lines, learn their ABCs and one, two, threes. Which is just ridiculous. Yet people, and the reason I'm harping on this is think how much people still believe this. Well, when we go into something like herbalism, which yes, if you do really stupid shit, you can hurt yourself or somebody else with, the sphere gets magnified. And all of a sudden, well, you know, you need to consult a, a certified herbalist or a master herbalist or a MD that actually believes in the power of herbs or something. And The reality is, no, you don't. And I still think there's a place for the specialized knowledge. But up until about 100 years ago, and from that time all the way back into the earliest drawings on a cave wall of a community of hunter-gatherers, people have known how to use plants, which is what herbs really are, just plants, for many things, whether it be just to smell better, or to get rid of a wound, or an irritation, or an infection, or to relieve pain of a toothache, or aches of the body. The average person, even in a hunter-gatherer society where the shaman's like right over there in the tent, he's just you can see his you can see his hut from here. When they had a scrape, they didn't run to the shaman. They grabbed an herb that they knew worked for that, and they rubbed it on it. And again, this was true of these early hunter-gatherers. This was true in America. My, I've told this story before, but like my grandfather, who came to America as a very small boy from the Ukraine, um, had basic herbal knowledge. I remember one time he had just totally tore up his finger. It, it wasn't deep. It was just like, it looked like somebody took a... Uh, like a peeler for a, a carrot peeler, and it just peeled off the inside of his finger. And I remember him putting plantain on it and just wrapping it up. And, and like seeing a few days later how well it had healed, where you could, like, you had thought it would be scarred or something, it was just gone. It was just, a, skin was a little pink and all. And I remember thinking, my grandfather's a sorcerer. He knows how to heal like magic. I mean, I was little. You got to understand. I was like three or four years old. I was like, wow, this is like magic. It wasn't magic. 
plantain and other herbs are dermal regenerators. They, they cause the, the, the skin cells to reproduce. Comfrey does this. Lantana does this. Okay? So that's not magic. It's just you have to know that. And when you walk around in a, in, a, in a lawn that's not been true green chem lawn in the northeastern United States, which is where he was from, you can't, unless it's winter and there's snow on the ground and nothing's, or you know, snow's maybe melted, but nothing's green yet, if there's green shit growing, you will find plantain wherever the hell you go. So that basic knowledge was then applied. And it was applied, you know, if you went back to like pre 1920s America, And all the way back from there to like the, the first drawings on a cave wall, people routinely used these herbs. And there were times when they were out of their limits or out of their comfort zone and they sought higher advice. But until that point, they used the experiment and became very, very knowledgeable in and of themselves of these basic uses, and you can too. So I think the question next then would be, well, why? Why has that always been the case? And there's, there's four key reasons, and if any one of these things wasn't true, everything I just said probably wouldn't have happened the way that it did. Number one, they work. They work. There are a lot of folk, hoax, mem you know, remedies and stuff that don't work, but in general, something does not survive generation upon generation upon generation, society upon society, culture upon culture, for thousands of years if it doesn't work at all. And we have enough scientific research today that no one talks about to show that many of these herbs are, in fact, very, very effective. In Europe, they are, go they are a go-to first, even by the medical uh, professionals in Europe, many times over, even over-the-counter or prescription medications. Number two, they are generally safe. If herbalism was that dangerous, if every single person that picked up a leaf and put it on a cut got liver cancer in a year, you... you You, you wouldn't have it be around for as long as it was. You can hurt yourself. There are herbs that will kill you. Don't use them. You know, if you have um, uh, coronary heart failure or heart, heart congestion, right? Digitalis is the, is, is the drug that a lot of times is used for that. Probably have new drugs now, but it comes from foxglove. But if you have that problem, go to a cardiologist. Don't go, don't go making a decoction out of foxglove. You don't know how to use it, and you probably will kill yourself. However, most of the herbs that we would use for anything that we would need that we wouldn't seek higher authorities for are pretty damn safe. There can be some drug interactions and things like that. And you need to check into those. But it ain't like it's, you need a, a, a fancy you know, Dick Tracy decoder ring from the 1950s to decode the shit. You just look it up. It's not hard. So they're generally safe. And, and when something wasn't safe, people figured it out pretty quick. He took that and he died. Well, you try it. I'm not doing it. Okay, we don't do that anymore. All right? Um, next, they are readily available. Herbs are readily available. If you walk out your door and start looking around, you will see some. They grow everywhere. Most of the, most of the plants that are not trees are some form of herb. If it's not a bush or a tree, it's probably some form of an herb. I guess... There'd be some vines in there that aren't as well, but um, in general, most of the plant life that you see around you is an herb. Uh, so they're readily available, and because of that, reason number four is they cost little to nothing. 
even a lot of things that maybe are difficult to prepare yourself, like essential oils and all, when you look at what you're really getting for the money, they're either really cheap or they're free. So it wasn't until man created refined medications who shaped them into pills and capsules and put them on bottles and shelves and stores that this changed, that people using herbs every day in their lives went away. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of medications I'm grateful that we have access to, but it doesn't mean because those things came along that all of a sudden herbs like stopped working. Humans didn't change. We didn't, like, well, now that there's aspirin and Tylenol, this other shit doesn't work no more. No, it doesn't work that way. You're biologically the same as your great, 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 great grandfather. No, the DNA's there. But biologically, human beings are no different than we were 50 years ago, 500 years ago. We're the same entities. And if something worked then, it will work now. It, it, it's, it, it's not like it changes. But modern society, again, has tossed a few... Anything we do not fully understand, I think only special people can be trusted with it. I'm going to invite you today to take a step in becoming, in the mind of others, special person, someone with a lot of knowledge about herbs, but all that really means is that you've educated yourself to lost knowledge of the average person. I'm talking people with an IQ of 75 used to do this, so you can too, all right? So let's start out with, if we're going to become herbalists, what the hell is herbalism? And we talk about it all the time, but have you ever really heard anybody just clearly define, I mean, like the dictionary definition of herbalism. Herbalism is the study of botany and use of plants intended for medicinal purposes or for supplementing a diet. That's it. So the only word in there anybody might be confused about is botany. Botany is the study of plants. You don't. The word is redundant in the definition. Herbalism is the study of the use of plants intended for medical purposes or for supplementing the diet. It's not comp. It's not sorcery. It's not black magic. It's it's science. And the beauty of science. Science is hard. No, science is easy. Some science can be hard. But the reason generally that science is easy is it's made up. When we're not talking about research science. We're not talking about theoretical science. We're talking about hard science with knowns. Science is easy because there's a place to go get the information so that you can apply the information and know what to do. For instance, we, we know scientifically that eating parsley won't kill you. So then if we figure out that doing eating parsley or using it in some other way will have benefit, we scientifically know we have potential gain with very little to no fear of any loss or danger. That's why science is easy, because we know what we're dealing with. If we went to a new planet somewhere that ended up being some sort of Earth-like planet with a bunch of plants on it that we never saw before, and we had to figure out which ones of those could help and heal us and which ones would kill us, and there wasn't some native species we could communicate with there to give us the knowledge then it would be hard. But that's not where we're going, right? We're going out our own door. Any plant you can find, you can identify. Now, be careful. There's some plants that look like others. But if you take the time to identify all of its characteristics and verify it, you'll know that's what this plant is that grows everywhere around here. And here's the things that it does, and here's the way that you use it to do those things. Now you're an herbalist. Yay. 
That's how easy it can be. Don't worry, I'm going to make it far more structured for you, but I'm going to show you how to spend 10 minutes a day, five days a week for the next year, and probably be a better herbalist than most of the people that have a website on the Internet that says they're an herbalist. How cool is that? And you know what it'll cost you? Nothing unless you buy the one book I'm going to suggest you buy. And somewhere along the way, you'll probably buy some herbal preparations or some herbs you can't get, but they're yours. It's not like you're paying somebody for it. You're, 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 you're buying a product like you would go out and buy a beer or you would go out and buy a piece of meat and cook it in your stove and then consume it. You're not paying a tuition for this, I guess, is my point. Um, let's talk about why. Now, now, so we understand what herbalism is. Why should you develop knowledge in herbalism? I mean, wouldn't you just be better off just like if you get a headache, take a freaking aspirin or a Tylenol and go on with life? Call your doctor? Actually, no, I, I don't believe so. I believe there's a, a tremendous number of reasons that you should consider becoming empowered as an herbalist. But I think that's the first one, because it's empowering. Knowing the plants that you grow or that grow around you and what they can do to heal or improve your life in any way whatsoever is incredibly empowering. And it is a great way to reach children. How many times, if you're a long-term listener, how many times have I told that story about my grandfather's finger? And I'm going to tell you something about when I tell you that story. It was his ring finger on his left hand. Man never wore a ring. It was a different time, I guess. I never saw the man wearing, but it was on that ring. And that's kind of what it was almost like somebody put a sharpened ring on one side and yanked it off his finger. I don't know what happened to it. But how many times have I told that story? Dozens? It won't go out of my head. When I tell that story, I point at that spot in my own finger. I can see in my head my grandfather. As a very old man, even when I was that young, but in better shape than he was by the time he passed on, for sure. I can see him walking. I can see him walking through his yard down to his garden. I can see him bending over and picking those plantain leaves. I can see him a week before that, because I was there for a couple weeks, and it was still cold enough for a little bit of snow. And I can see him in his, like this jean jacket he had, with like a, 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 sheep fleece lining to it, bringing cabbages in from the garden. And it all goes back to that one thought about seeing my grandfather heal something. So if you want to reach your kids, guys, this is a way to reach your kids. Maybe they'll tell your story. Your grandkids maybe will tell your story dozens of times long after you're gone, like I've told my grandfather. That's a pretty big reason to learn. And there's a lot of other reasons, but I'm going to go back to four I already gave you. The same reason that, that herbalism's been around for so long. It works. It's generally safe. They're readily available, and they cost little or nothing. When you have something that works, is generally safe, readily available, and costs so little to nothing, could do so much for your life, why wouldn't you learn about it? The only thing it'll cost you is your time to gain knowledge. So as we go into this, I, I wasn't going to make today's story like, here's ten herbs you can use and what they do with them and how, because I've done that. And if we're going to really teach you about becoming an herbalist, instead of just giving you a bunch of facts, half or more of which you'll forget, I need to give you a procedure, a, a study guide, so to speak. It'll be a very simple one, but a very effective one. But I want to like, open your mind to herbalism. Because 
what everybody thinks when they think herbalism, like, like some rare herb or some herb that you have to use just right or mixing 20 herbs together or just the right ratios. Stop. What about oregano? Right? Oregano, the stuff you put on your freaking pizza. Right? What can oregano do for us? Now, I will tell you that you have to use certain forms and formats in oregano to get these benefits. The dry stuff you put on your pizza started out as something that could do this for you, but the dry stuff you put on your pizza probably won't do these things because it's the oils that are in oregano that are most valuable for their medicinals. But this is oregano. This is stuff like you put in your garden. It grows like a freaking weed. If you're in the right climate, it becomes perennial and comes back year after year after year. It's just there. It smells great. It is good in cooking. I'd rather cook with fresh oregano than dried oregano because it does retain some of these benefits. But again, it's oregano. You can go freaking Walmart and buy it. And I don't mean in a little dry thing. Like in the spring, when you go buy plants for your garden, it's sitting right there with a Bonnie's label on it. That's how common it is. How about this? It's an antiviral and an antifungal. And it's been, it's been shown that in some instances, it can be a better antibiotic than many of the antibiotics that we prescribe. And there's, there's two substances in the oil that, that this comes from. One is called carvacrol, and the other one is called thymol. And both of these compounds have been deeply researched. You can look up scientific research on this. Now, again, for this to be usable, you need you know, oregano essential oils. And you need to know how to use an essential oil because it's very concentrated. It can be an irritant if it's not used properly, for instance. But there's just tons of scientific information on this. But just a simple tea can ease an upset stomach. Because of the things I just talked about, whether it being antiviral and antifungal, preparations you can make right out of your own backyard using your own um, oregano can be antiseptic and antiviral and antifungal. And that means like they can actually help you from getting a wound infected. Or if you have something like athlete's foot, an oregano wash can clear it up. If you have like a, a, an external fungal problem somewhere, oregano, can, you can use the oil diluted with other oils, etc., but even just a good herbal wash can work with that. If you have a dog that is having some sort of a skin irritation problem, making an herbal wash for the dog and one of the herbs in it being oregano can often help clear that up. Many times with dogs, it is fungal. It's an antioxidant. So just including fresh oregano in your diet is like taking antioxidant vitamins that you buy. It's not exactly the same. I'm not saying that. But it's an antioxidant. What is an antioxidant? I know some of you are like, I don't really know. Well, here it's good for you and stuff. But it, what an antioxidant actually antioxidant does is it prevents your cells from oxidizing. They, they basically neutralize something called free radicals. We, we have molecules that have pieces break off of them, electrons break off of them, and they become unstable. And those unstable molecules in our body can damage and harm cellular structures. And what an antioxidant does is it, it bonds with that damaged molecule. It basically 
takes up, it, it donates an electron to replace the lost one and stabilizes the molecule. I guess is the best way to look at it. So oregano does that. Lots of things do that, by the way. It's like oregano's magic. But I, I picked oregano for this, this segment because it's so mundane. How many recipes have you called for oregano? How many times have you been in somebody's garden like, what's that smell? Oh, that's oregano. How many times have you been looking through plants at a plant store? And like, oh, herbs. Oh, that's oregano. And you, I mean, do you ever even think about this? It can be used, just a, a compress or a wash of oregano can be used to reduce insect bite itch. And, and a lot of other things. Like, I, I don't want to do the show called, you know, uh, you know, 400 things oregano can do for you you didn't know. But my question for you is, if oregano can do all of that, why doesn't anybody seem to know about it? I mean, wouldn't it seem like a good thing to know about? Like, that, hey, if you have athlete's foot, you got itchies between your toes or something like that because your hygiene slipped a little bit. Just simple oregano wash can clear that up instead of running out to the store and buying a product. God knows what else is in that product that you bought, even if it works. And sure, rely on that product if you need to, but you could already have the, the, the solution in place before you had time to go get the product. Wouldn't that be good to know? Let me ask you a question. Who benefits if the average American knows, let's say, 50 herbs and what they do and how to use them? Who benefits in the corporatocracy? You know, small companies like Western Botanicals and whatnot and private sellers on Amazon that sell whole herbs that you can't get where you live. You know, there's kind of a small market there. It's actually a huge market, but in many pieces, a, um, a decentralized benefit. But who in the... See, the oligarchy runs on centralization. You go into a store, and it looks like there's like a bazillion products in there, but there's about three dozen companies that provide 99% of the products in the average grocery store. So how does that group benefit if people have herbal knowledge. Now, they're happy to sell you, right next to your vitamins and your over-the-counter medications, herbal supplements in standardized formats, so they're fine with a little bit of buzz, but the people that use those products and rely on them specifically to the exclusion of whole herbs and integration of herbs and plants back into their lives, those people are doing what I call replacement therapy. Instead of buying this drug, I buy this herb. Well, the corporatocracy is fine with that. They benefit from that. But if you have in-depth knowledge of the herbs that grow in your backyard, how do they benefit from that? They don't. And that's why people don't know. That's why people don't know. Because the mainstream, and I'm not saying it's even done out of evilness, just self-preservation, self uh, uh, I guess what's the word I'm looking for, um, people do what benefits them. It doesn't benefit your school system to teach this. It doesn't make Johnny come to school more, I guess, right? It, 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 it doesn't benefit your elected officials. It doesn't benefit the lobbyists that give them money. It doesn't benefit, you know, it doesn't benefit Walmart. I mean, they, they might sell a few more pots of oregano, but that's not really the business they're in. That's just a thing that's there. It doesn't. Here's what it doesn't benefit. It doesn't benefit Pfizer or Merck or any other of the pharmaceutical companies. Have you noticed how many commercials on TV are for a drug? 
It's one of the biggest monetary units or monetary uh, industries in the world. This is a direct competitor with something that there's no money in on any real meaningful level. That's what people don't know. Because they make money when you go out and buy an ointment to put on your feet, but they don't make money if you take a few herbs, throw them into uh, a, a pan, and, and, and pour some hot water over them, wait till that water cools down to where it's tolerable, and dip your feet in there, even though that'll work better. It doesn't. That's why people don't know. And they don't know for the other reason of what we talked about earlier, that it's special people. You have to be trained, etc. Again, there are things that you probably should be highly trained and work with a practitioner with and all. But 90% of what you would use is safe, readily available, and cheap to free. Okay? Um, so my suggestions for you to become skilled and knowledgeable with herbs d does require a commitment. You could make half of the commitment and still end up with really great results. So it's up to you if you want to take it this far. But... It's one herb a week, 10 minutes a day, five days a week for one year. I'm going to say it again. One herb a week, 10 minutes a day, five days a week for one year. That's the knowledge portion. And then there's an application portion. So let's, let's talk about the knowledge portion. And you could do the knowledge portion without the application portion, but you're going to be so much better off if you do the application portion and it's not complicated and you're going to want to. But here's how we do the knowledge Day one, we find we, we basically we start finding out herbs, just names of herbs, medicinal herbs. Call it, I don't care what it is. I guarantee if you find an herb, you're going to find some medicinal uses for it. So on day one, all we're going to do is spend ten minutes ten minutes finding out what it does. What does this herb do? Is it an antimicrobial? Is it a tonic? Right. What what does it do? What is it good for? Does it help with headaches? Does it help with stress? Does it help people sleep? Does it help with infections? Does it help with healing? Does it reduce gastric distress? What does it do? And it probably won't take you 10 minutes. But if you'll take around 10 minutes just to find out what it does. See, here's the thing. You'll, and, you'll, you'll, and then you go back to your normal life. What will happen, unlike trying to learn 10 herbs that day, or all about that herb that day, It'll stick in your freaking head. It won't go away. It's the eating the elephant one bite at a time technique that we talked about before. You will think about that multiple times during that day. Anything that, re like when you see that stupid drug commercial and the lady puts her hand up on her head, you'll think, yeah, peppermint helps with headaches. I don't know how yet exactly what to do with it, but I know that peppermint can be beneficial to people with headaches. I know she has some kind of stress disorder or something, but maybe she just has a headache. Maybe that woman should get some peppermint. That's what will happen. Somebody will tell you, you know, my kid skinned his knee, and you'll think, yeah, you know, comfrey probably worked for that. I learned about comfrey today. Or lantana would work for that. I learned about lantana today. Or a little oregano might help with that somehow. I'm not sure how yet because I'm only on day one. But he don't want to get an infection in it, so maybe some oregano would be beneficial. Interesting. So that's what will happen day one, what, do, what does it do? Day two, in what forms should it be used? See, we have a whole day, 10 minutes, just going like, well, okay, I, I know that yesterday I saw the lady gripping her head and I thought, you know, my, my herb this week is peppermint. Um, how would we use that herb for a headache? 
We might find that we a tea would be a peppermint tea alone might be beneficial, but that peppermint oil in few uh, in a diffuser or just simply applied to the temples and smelled in the hands actually has a pretty Uh, good effect on reducing headaches, especially if they're stress headaches rather than some sort of a mechanical problem. See, so we'll learn, for instance, all the different ways that we could use peppermint. You know, not even all, just you know, a handful. Like, do you do you use it as a compress? Do you use it as a tea? Can you just include it in your diet? Should you be fresh? Is it is, there, is this an herb where it's effective when it's dried, or is it more effective fresh? Learn that that day. Okay, now it's really in your head. Now for the rest of the week, every time that, that something comes up that ties back into that, you're going to come back to that association. Day three, where do you get it? How do you grow it, etc.? So if it was mint, we might learn that mint is one of the easiest herbs to grow. Anybody can be growing it. But it can become invasive, so it should be either grown in dedicated areas or in pots or something like that. And you could even start growing it right away if your neighbor has some by taking a cutting and throw it in some water with less roots and stick it in the ground. It'll grow. It's that easy. So mint might be an easy one. But you might learn about something else and might find that it's it's a little bit more complicated to grow or it takes a long time before you can get a yield out of it. Or for what you can personally do, you get a very small yield. This would then be an herb that we would say that we want to buy either the whole herb or some preparation that uses this herb in the future for ourselves because it's not easy to acquire. Okay? At day four and five of that week, you're going to learn about two unknowns. Now, how the hell do we determine what's unknown? Well, here's what's going to happen. On day one, where you learn what it does, on day two, where you find out what forms it should be used, and day three, where do you get it, you're going to come across terms and suggestions and things. You're going to say, I don't really understand that, or I need to know more about that, or it can be propagated from a cutting. What, how do you propagate something from a cutting? So your unknowns will be different every week, and there's no way I can possibly know what they are. But all you're going to do is you're going to keep either a note, you know, using the notes app on your phone or a little notebook or something like that. While you're doing your three days that are very clear cut, I'm going to learn about oregano this week. I'm going to learn about comfrey this week. I'm going to learn about lantana this week. Uh, I'm going to learn about echinacea this week. Whatever that herb is, you're just going to, whenever something sparks your interest, even if you kind of know what it is but you want to know more, you're just going to write it down. You're going to pick two each week, and you're going to learn about those. And what will happen is in the beginning, you'll have 20 or 30, and toward the end, you'll only have maybe one or two because you'll start to have learned so many of them. By the end of the year, you'll be stretching for unknowns. You know what stretching for unknowns means? You're approaching a level of mastery. Now, there's multiple levels of mastery. You're not a certified master herbalist that can be, you know, going off to teach the Chinese about herbs or something. They've been studying it for thousands of years, and you're a master now to them. But you're a cheat when you are struggling to find what you don't know. You're approaching a level of mastery, and that's what you're going to do in one year with this technique. So. That's all you got to do for knowledge. Now, here's the thing. I know a lot of you think that's a good idea, but you're not going to do it. That's okay. But you can take that technique I just gave you and apply it to developing specialized knowledge about anything. How do you think I know so much? How do you think I know so much? 
You guys have been listening to this show for so many years going, how the hell does this one son bitch know all this stuff? This is how. This is how I've taught myself about everything. Now, I read really fast. I have an incredible retention rate of things that I'm interested in. So I do it maybe a little bit more accelerated, but I know the average person's not going to or can't. So I'm giving you how to break it down into small pieces, but it's the, still the same technique. You learn about this one thing, you learn what it does, you learn how it works, you learn where to get it, you learn how to use it, and then you get another one. You do the same thing with it, and you get another one, you do the same thing with it, you get another one, and you do the same thing with it. And suddenly, a little bit turns into a whole lot. And somebody says, well, my kid skinned his knee. And you're like, well, you can make a salve out of this, or you can do that, or you can do this, or you can do that. You're like five different solutions to it. And you don't have to check your notes or some shit. You just know it. That's when you See, that's when you actually know something, when you're able to just go, well, here's how it works. And when you're able to explain it to somebody in a way where they'll understand it, then you're an expert. These people that you think are experts that explain shit and no one knows what the hell they're talking about except them, That's not an expert. He's a really smart person. He's a specialist. That's a specialist. An expert can take that which is complex and make it understandable to people who do not understand it. That's an expert. And you're becoming an expert here. I know I've used two words to make you afraid. Expert and master. We can all be experts, and we can all be masters, and we can still have a lifetime journey of more to learn. In fact, I would never use the term expert for a person that thought of themselves as finished. Because either you're arrogant or stupid or both. Experts are people that know more than the average person and can teach that information. We also call them teachers. True teachers, true educators are experts in relation to their students. Now, that does mean that if you are a kindergarten teacher, I mean no offense, but in that capacity, you are an expert to five-year-olds. Right? That's not an insult. You may be an expert about a bunch of other shit, too. But that's... See, now when you understand it that way, you don't, you're not afraid of becoming one anymore, and that's the reason people don't become experts. They don't become experts because they fear it. They think it's arrogant. Expertise is not something that makes you better than everyone. It makes you better than most in the area that you've obtained them. Real simple. So, but the thing is, you've heard, you know, book smart. So, like, when I was in communications, I took this test called RCDD, uh, Registered Communications Distribution Designer, and after I passed it, It had like a 70% first-time failure rate, by the way. It's not an easy test. After I passed that test, I could put on my business card, Jack Spearco, R-C-D-D. Ooh, right? Um, but we had a joke in the industry that said, there's RCDDs that are fantastic at designing distribution systems. But the, the credential might just as well mean really can't do dick. Because... You can basically it's two really thick ass manuals. You learn enough information about what's in them. You learn how to take a test that's designed to make you give them the wrong answer so that you don't. And you go pass that test. Well, I could hand you a print and a bucket of Jackson cable and say go install this network, and you may not be able to do it. So to go along with the knowledge, we need part two, which is what application. So now we're going to move into the application phase of this. So now we move to application. I call the application component the fun component. 
Uh, I like learning, but I enjoy doing more. So this is going to be minimum two a month. You're going to have to put some discipline into this, and one a week would be better. But you use your weekends for this or your evening, one evening a week or something. This would be If you're a couple, this would be a good thing to do together. If you have a kid, maybe this would be a good project to do with your kids because the kids are good at holding grown-ups accountable, especially if it's like, well, after we get this done, then you get to do something cool. Then the kid, That's not actually like bribing the kid. That's using the kid's talent to keep you motivated because they may not be that big into making a salve this week, but they are going to be big into that thing that they get to do after you guys complete that. So they're going to nag you to do it, right? This understanding your resources and using them. Uh, but you're going to at least two times a month come up with a new application of your knowledge, You're going to do something. Um, a lot of this is going to get fed out of your day four and five learning about unknowns. You're going to be tooling around, and you're going to be learning about an herb, and it says, you know, say something like usually used as an infusion or a decoction, and you're going to go, huh? So you're an infusion and decoction, and those are going to be your unknowns for that week. You're going to learn what an infusion and decoction is. So then you're going to be like, okay, well, one of my things I can do is I can make an infusion or a decoction, All right? So I'm going to give you a list that you can start with until you make more. And you should have no problem making more if you're doing the knowledge part. But here's some things that you can do, and I'll talk a little bit about them as I go. Start simply by adding fresh herbs to your cooking as often as possible. You could knock your application out for this month just by making sure you cook with fresh herbs. This, And I mean, fresh herbs are like stuff you can buy in a store. Parsley, garlic, cilantro, you know, chives. Basil, oregano, I mean, just fresh ones, not just dried ones. Just start using them. And, and that's going to lead to all other types of things for you by doing that. But that's about it. And then, you know, make a simple culinary herbal oil. Learn how to infuse oil with the flavors of, let's say, oregano, rosemary, and garlic. Now, you might think, that doesn't sound very medicinal. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. We learned something about oregano, didn't we, today? Trust me, if you learn about garlic and, and, and rosemary, you'll learn a lot more shit that those things can do for you. But, yeah, it's basically a culinary oil. Maybe we use it at the end of our cooking. Maybe if we use, like, an extra virgin olive oil to make that particular uh, oil, We then take that oil, and if we've made this really great kind of Mediterranean chicken dish, we just drizzle a little bit of oil over top of it and over the vegetables at the end, and now we're using it uncooked in its raw state. We're getting those, those components of those herbs into our body on a regular basis. But do you know what you've done? Well, maybe the next on your list is how to make an herbal salve. Well, if you've learned how to make an herbal oil, you're halfway to a salve. So we, we might make the oil a bit differently. We're probably going to use more herbs in it, and we're going to use different herbs to make a salve. But basically, we make a salve by making an infused oil and then thickening it with wax. So the one skill's already led us to the second skill. So maybe we're going to say, like, maybe the third thing we're going to do is make an herbal salve. By then, we'll probably have learned about enough herbs that we'll be ready to make a salve out of something. And if we're not sure, we can just look up good herbs to make a salve with and what they do. And we don't need to know everything about those herbs. We'll just add them to our list. See, eat, it doesn't matter what you're missing. Whatever you fill in the blank, it just backfeeds to the other side. That's real learning. Okay? And that's self-directed learning. This is a skill. 
Again, if you don't know, care anything about herbs, everything I'm teaching you can be translated into any other walk of existence you want to take it into. So we'll make it herbal salve. Now, at this point, just by going that far, here's what we've done for ourselves. We are now improving our diet. We're improving our, improving our dietary experience. And we've enabled ourselves to address the most common thing that people have to deal with, which is itches, bites, things, etc., because there's some herb that'll make a salve that'll do that. And we've already come that far, and we're, we're very early in our journey at this point. Um, some other suggestions I would have for you list. Use an essential oil diffuser. Learn about them and how they work. That might, see, it's like you have to do a lot. You, you, you pick up some oil and a diffuser, and then that week you simply use it in your home. But then make sure that whatever herb you've, you're using in that essential oil, you've learned about or goes on your list. Because you might realize that you know using something like lavender oil, which I can't do because my wife hates it, actually has a very great effect on reducing germs in your home. There, there's hospitals in Europe that have gone to misting small amounts of lavender oil throughout the hospital as an antiseptic. And it works better than many prepared you know, antiseptics that, that hospitals wipe shit down with. And they've reduced their cross-infection and secondary infection rates by doing that. And you know how recent that is? It's probably the 1980s that I know that, you know, know of those studies being done. So, I mean, that's an easy one. And then, see, once you have that application, it won't count as another application, but now you've made an investment in your home in an herbal oil diffuser. And I will have a link in the show notes to one that I would recommend for you today. Um, you can get them in many different places. And now you might, as you learn about another one of the herbs on your list, say, hey, maybe that would be something good to add some essential oil of as we go into our unknowns that week. And then when we bring that herbal oil in, not only can we use it in a typical way, we can also use it in a diffuser. And our whole family can benefit from it, whether they know it or not. Um, another thing you could do is, you know, use an essential oil with another oil. A lot of times essential oils can be rubbed on something, like let's say a wound. But first of all, it's very expensive to use in large quantities. But second of all, it's so concentrated and causes irritation. So usually something like a drop to a teaspoon or a drop to a tablespoon of something like olive oil. And then mixing it up and then using that will give you the benefit of that herbal oil with only a single drop. How cool is that? All of a sudden, it doesn't seem expensive anymore. So that would be another one of our applications. See, we don't have to do all this in a day. We don't have to do all this in a week. We can do one of these things every other weekend or one every weekend. Okay. Uh, then maybe we're going to learn how to make a tincture using alcohol. I mean, we probably will learn exactly what a tincture is and why we use it over other things in our unknown research. So now we might as well make one which is pretty easy. We take herbs and we apply alcohol to it in a certain way and we wait a certain amount of time and we end up with a tincture. And then we can actually make another application using the tincture on something, right? Whether it's something that's tonifying, whether it's something for our throat, whatever it is, we'll use the tincture on something. It could be a whole new application because making it as one, using it as another. Develop a tea. Or a simple herbal water, which would basically be a cold-brewed tea. And by the way, that's an infusion. 
Teas are infusions. Now, generally, when we make an herbal infusion for something, we do it longer or, you know, maybe more herb than just for drinking. But basically, a tea is an infusion. Other infusions might be called long infusions. Um, but we can come up, you know, just come up with some herbs that you can get from around your home that taste good and come up with a, a ratio mix to throw in, let's say, a water bottle every day. Make that your project. I'm gonna find. I'm gonna do two or three different ones and find the one that I think tastes best. So we'll make it Saturday morning. We'll taste it Sunday morning. See which ones we like. Maybe add a little lemon juice to that or whatever it is, or a little bit of a drop of stevia for some sweetness. And okay, now I like this. This is my herbal water. Well, now you have an herbal water. So when you grab that bottle of water every morning, now it's it's got herbal goodness in it, and now it's just this gentle gentle tonifying of the body systems from the herbs that grow naturally around your home. Now you're not buying bottled water that is, you know, flavored with some kind of crap in a lab, which a lot of people, I've, I've found a lot of people don't drink enough water because they don't like to drink water. So they drink some sort of like, you know, uh, some sort of a product water, a vitamin water, an energy water. Make your own. Make your own. It's that simple. Um, you know, make, purchase an herbal product that's too complicated to make yourself or really is beyond your ability. So you might learn about echinacea. You might get into a time of the year that you want to improve your immune response. So you might find an echinacea-based product to do that with. And see, now you're teaching yourself product research, product selection, As you start to do that, you're going to learn about other things that are immuno-boosting uh, boost, herbs, and you're going to learn about the products that include those. You'll learn some of them really aren't worth including. You'll learn that some of them can be self-produced, and therefore we can buy a different product that only has the things that are complicated to produce. Or maybe you just But you'll make an informed decision about the, the stuff you do purchase. Man, informed consumers are the last thing they want in this country. I'll tell you that right now. There wouldn't be so damn many organizations protecting us if they wanted us to become informed. Um, you know, learn to make a decoction. What's well, a decoction? It's a tea that you boil covered for 10 to 15 minutes. So it's an infusion that you do for longer with more stuff. There's more to it than that. But what I'm trying to get across is none of this shit's hard. If it was, again, I'm going back to you, there were people. In the early United States, they probably had IQ of 75 that knew a hell of a lot more about taking care of their bodies than the average person does today. So if they can do it, you can too. You know? And then I've saved this one to last in the action items because it's the most important. So most people take the most important one and they lead with it. And if leading with something makes the rest of it have an impact, I'll do it. Otherwise, I save it for last because it's the one you're most likely to remember. And that is find herbs that grow where you live. You know, one week, your action item could be find four herbs that grow here. And that's one I'm happy for you to repeat as many times as you can, as long as you continuously find new ones. Put them on your list, learn about them, and then make them part of your other action items. Now, look, I want you to think about this. If you did this for a year and you took two weeks off for vacation... You would have intimate working knowledge of 50 herbs by the end of the year. There wouldn't be a single method that's easy to do 
for preparing herbs in your home that you wouldn't know how to do. There'd be almost no terminology that you would ever read about or hear about that you wouldn't at least have the basic understanding of what they meant. And it's all free, and it's 10 minutes a day. And I've just told you how to do it. And again, if you don't want to develop an intimate knowledge of herbs, but let's say one of our other topics we've talked about recently is cryptocurrency. How knowledgeable would you be about cryptocurrency if you took a similar approach? Maybe a little less application because it can cost you some money if you do it wrong, but in the end, the same type of thing. You can do the application. What about stock investing? That takes money. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Do mock investing as your application if you want to learn about stocks like this. Just write down, buy 1,000 shares of X, you know, PRT, whatever the ticker symbol is. You know, strike price today is this much. Target sell, target, uh, you know, target sell, target hold. Figure out, you know, what you would do with it. And then figure out, like, at the end, you know, when you get to a position where you exit it, did you win or lose? Learn about a put. Learn about a call. Learn about margin. Then exercise those things. Exercise options on paper. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what it is. Ten minutes a day, five days a week, some type of application of the knowledge at least twice a month. And you can take anything and develop mastery of it. And I'll tell you how you know a master. A master has students. Any master, well, even in the freaking Star Wars movies, right? The master always has an apprentice, right? Maybe more than one, but at least one. You can't really be a master. And I'm going to tell you why that's fundamentally true. Your greatest knowledge is obtained through teaching others. There, it's, it's a fundamental truism. When I was in the Army, the Army knows this. A lot of things that you have to learn that your life is going to depend on, the way that you're taught is they tell you about it, they show it to you, they teach you to do it, and then they make you teach them back. So, for instance, when we learn to rappel, you learn to tie something called a Swiss seat. So they explain the rope and how it all worked. They basically taught you about it the way you learn in school. Then they did it in front of you and showed you what it looked like when they did it. Then they put a piece of rope in your hand and taught you to do it. They led you through it until you had it properly tied. Then they said, untie it and teach me how to do it, and you taught it back to them. In each step, your knowledge and, and, and recall ability goes up by a factor of about 10. And that's why I think you should start teaching others about herbs right away. Now, this does not mean that two weeks or three weeks or even two months into your journey, you should go down to some local uh, feed store that does workshops and say, I want to do a work workshop on basic herbalism. I don't mean it that way. I just simply mean, hey, check this out with your friends and your family, etc. I learned how to make a decoction today. Let me show you how it works. Did you know that the herb X, Y, and Z can do A, B, and Z? No? And you don't and don't become like, you know, I think it was a Cliff Clavin from Cheers where like, oh God, he's at it again. Don't be like that, but just little bits of it. 
And you'll find willing students. What I found is the more that you're willing to teach, the more the students will line up to learn from you. And the more you will master what you know. I'm big on teaching. I think everybody should be doing it. I think it's a skill we've lost in America. And again, why? Because who does it benefit? Self-educated people that educate themselves and educate others and teach others to self-educate is the last thing you want in an oligarchy. It's the last thing you want. Because there's so many of the solutions that are being offered by your corporatocracy that are no longer necessary. So that's what we're, this, this show was really about herbalism, but it's also about learning and teaching. Um, I'm going to say one more time, though, I really recommend the Herbal Medicine Makers Handbook. I think it'll go hand-in-hand hand with everything that you're going to learn. It'll give you a list of herbs to make your list with to start off. And anything that you learn about online, you can actually fact-check in it. Because just because you read something on a website that says this is how you use this herb doesn't mean that you should. If it's in that book, it's accurate. So I think it makes a lot of sense to add that to your project if you want to do this. And I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but I do see kind of the first of the year is a good starting point for something like this. Because you have so much that's going to be going on in your life over the next three weeks. Starting something in December is usually not a good idea. That's why I did a show about planning your garden in December, not doing the project in December, right? There's the family obligations and the work obligations, because usually the work has some kind of party. They think they're doing something nice for you, and you just assume that it not be there, but you're expected to be. You got me, right? It's just not the time. But planning this is, is like, you know, we're going to start this in 2018. I think it's a great idea. Fantastic idea. You know, kind of my final thoughts on this is I think this is one of those things that there's no good reason not to do it. I, in fact, I would say the only other reason, the only good reason not to do it is you've chosen to apply this type of learning to one or two other things, and that's all you have time for. And to you, those things are more important than herbalism. And, and I would kind of say to you, imagine the knowledge you would have in four years if you picked one or two things a year and did this with them. And how well does a four-year university hold up against that and actually being able to do shit? Now, I'm not saying you're going to be able to get a job because of it. I'm just saying for the time commitment comparison, you no, no teachers... You know, the whole world is your teacher in this. No grades, no stress, and no tests. You test yourself by your application. Instead of hours and hours of lecture, it's 10 minutes a day of self-guided research and maybe an hour at most a week of applying a project-level knowledge to it. So all in, you're at maybe two hours a week that you almost don't feel that you've given up because it becomes fun and entertaining. And the level of knowledge that you can obtain is incredible. And let me tell you, it could be done in less time. I said 10 minutes a day because most people fart around for half of the time they're doing anything. If you're serious about it, you can do everything I said in five minutes a day. Then that's 25 minutes a week. Instead of 50. Seriously, you can, you can find out what an herb does in five minutes. You ain't got to become a botanist about like specialized. You don't have to be a, an oreganoologist at the end of it. 
you just got to know, like, here's like five things that it can be used to treat, and it has these herbal actions. Okay, I'm done. You could read it three times in a row and be done in five minutes. And then the application can take an hour or it can take five minutes. It depends on how long you're going to fart around with it and convince yourself that it's hard when it's not. Because remember, the way that people traditionally use this knowledge was on the fly. And sit around with a whole bunch of shit made up and ready to go for everything that could go wrong. The old man was out in the field. He was plowing. He slipped forward. He gouged his arm. And he either pulled stuff out of the field and started treating her. When he went home, mom whipped something up and they put it on it. They didn't even think like, oh, we got to look. They didn't have an internet, did they? Yeah. You got it easy. It can be five minutes a day and ten minutes on the weekend. That's 35 minutes a week. And again, you can do anything. You want financial knowledge? Do it with one financial term a day. There's even a website, Investopedia. You can sign up, they'll send it to you. Right? You want to learn about, you know, I don't know. What do you want to learn about? Break it down like that and start doing it. It is the most powerful thing in the world. And a lot of times what you'll find out is that you can really run out the clock with a lot of stuff. Not be done forever, but like, I've got enough foundational knowledge in this. I want foundational knowledge in something else. The engineer did six months. You don't have to do a year of this. Because what will happen is you'll go from learning one herb a day to accidentally learning two or three, and you'll knock out 50 in six months, and you'll have plenty of that. You'll be stretching for applications. And now that you have the foundation and it's part of your life, you don't need the structure anymore. Because when you want to know something or when something comes up, you're going to know exactly how to go about dissecting it. So then you'll say, well, hell, I'm going to do another thing for the other half of the year. You do two or three subjects a year for four years. Same, college, same amount of time people go to college. And again, you want to know why I know so much? This is why I know so much shit. Bite off learning for knowledge acquisition and then apply the knowledge. Go try it. Unless it's going to kill you or hurt somebody or put you in jail, just go try it. If it doesn't work, try it again until it works. That's simple. Anyway, hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember, if you want to support this show, one of the ways you can do that is by doing your online shopping where? tspaz.com. Just go to tspaz.com, and when you're going to buy something online, buy through tspaz.com. That's it. And you can get on over to Amazon from there, see their deals of the day, and you can see my reviews. The product I have for you today is something that's very timely. It's December. Uh, for some of you, winter is here, but winter is coming. And even in the parts of the country where it is really cold even now, the real depths of winter, we all know when they happen. It's like mid-January through mid-February through the end of February where it's just cold. And that's when stuff breaks. And sooner or later, something that breaks might be, you know, the electricity or your furnace, or something like that, and then you're going to be cold. Or something's going to freeze up, and you need a way to keep an outbuilding warm or something. And one of the biggest bang for your bucks way to do that is using a kerosene heater. So my item of the day today is the DuraHeat kerosene heater. Oh my God, Jack, don't you know how dangerous those things are? Calm down. Let's take a look at this concern. You guys do understand we now live in a society where they put do not iron clothes while wearing them as a warning label on an iron. Think about that for a moment, please. 
oven doors have a warning not to stand on them and use them as a step ladder. Yeah, really. My new, my oven, when we got it a couple of years ago, it had a big sticker, do not stand on the oven door as a step ladder. Um, so do you think if kerosene heaters were the death machine, some claim they are, that any company would be in the business selling them in today's litigious society? I, I, I don't. That said, safety is a concern, which is why I like this model. If you bump it hard or if it gets tipped over, it just shuts itself off. It also has a great heat cage, and that's going to prevent accidental burns. And I know what you're thinking, but what about CO2, fool? We're going to all die. Please take a breath and let me ask you, when exactly was the last time you heard kerosene heater kills family of four? Anyway, yeah, CO2 is produced when burning any organic fuel, but here are the basic rules for using a heater like this. Do not use it in a small, closed-in room. Always make sure your wick is in good condition. Don't burn the flame too high, and if it's smoking, it's way too high. And crack a window or two just a little bit to allow circulation. The last one probably isn't even needed with modern heaters, but it's such cheap insurance, there's no reason not to do it. By simply doing those things, these heaters are safe, and hundreds of thousands of people are using them all the time. Now, I personally use the Big Buddy propane heater, um, and the reason is that it's very... Hard to find kerosene around here, like at a gas station where you can pump it into a can. You have to pay like double the price to buy it at hardware stores and stuff. Though I just did, see it, just did see it at a place called Atwoods, and it didn't seem that bad for prepackaged kerosene. So I, I might actually pick one of these up for myself. I had two of them in Pennsylvania, and when we left and I knew we were coming here and kerosene availability is not very high, and I was going to go to propane heat, indoor heaters, um, I just gave them to my neighbors. So they were one less thing to have to haul back down here. Um, but they're fantastic. Check it out. Again, it is called the Dura Heat Kerosene Heater. Item of the day, it's like 140 bucks. It's very, very well thought of. I did a lot of research in finding this one to be able to recommend a good one. I had a request from somebody last year. And all the time, if you shop online through tspaz.com, you help support the show and the work that we do. It's painless, and it's a way to kind of pay us back for the work that we do, if you want to look at it that way, where it doesn't actually cost you anything. And I would say on that, I don't mean to harp on it, but like, what's the knowledge you got today worth? Is it worth going to another site before you shop online for a couple seconds? Just think about us when you're, when you're doing your online shopping. Again, tspaz.com. That brings us to our song of the day today. Um, this is a song I'd completely forgotten about. It's by a band that's, I think, one of the more underrated bands of all time. Uh, they're out of Canada. They were pretty big in the 70s. Uh, they're called Triumph. And this song is called Magic Power. Magic Power. And I've always thought of Triumph as being kind of like a, a, a Soul Brothers to Journey or something like that. They have that sound. I love that sound of that, that era of music. Um, not the same, but you know, in that maybe cousins, soul cousins, right? Is there such a thing? Um, and this song really is about the power of music itself. That's what the magic power is: is music. And what I like about John Adams selecting this song is it gives me an opportunity to explain to you why I even do a song of the day. It was just like a lark that came up. But what made me keep continue doing it and make it a segment is that music does have magic power. It has transformative power. It has memory recall power. There's things about that, and that's not being young again when certain music is on. I know there's songs that I've played over the years that you've heard that song, and it's took you to a place. 
or it's made you in your mind smell a scent, or it's reminded you of a girl or a guy, right? Or it's made you think of a kid, maybe your own kid, maybe somebody else's child, maybe a grandchild, maybe yourself as a child. It's brought back a regret. It's brought back a good memory. Music has powers, not just to soothe the savage beast, as the old saying goes, but to actually transform how we feel, where we are in our state of mind. It's amazed me as I've collected these songs, you know, to put out for you. As I've done research on them, I've seen comments on them. How many times I see a song? This got me through a really dark place. Or I remember what it was like at this time. But I shouldn't be surprised at it at all because it's what it is for me. So that's what this song's about. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast to help you figure out how to live that better life. Times get tough or even if they don't. Why?